This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 29th July 2022, from the Lifestyle section. Ivran Welsh's crime TV series hunts for Glasgow Tenement for season two filming in Deniston. By Nicole Mitchell. Creators of Irvin Welsh's crime TV drama are looking for Glasgow tenements ahead of filming in season two. Some residents in Deniston have received a letter from the production's location manager telling them they are looking for properties such as yours as a filming location. The letter states those who allow their home to be used will be paid a location fee, although the amount is not disclosed. Each property will be used for an average of one to two days when filming takes place from late August to late November. The letter read, I am the location manager for the second series of a TV drama to be filmed in West and Central Scotland towards the end of the year entitled Crime. We are looking for properties such as yours, for which we would pay a location fee. It continued, like the first series, which is available to stream on BritBox, the second season of Crime is a six-part police drama featuring characters from Trainspotting author Irvin Welsh's 2008 novel of the same title and based on his forthcoming novel, The Long Knives. With a script co-written by Welsh, Crime features a craft cast led by Dougray Scott, Ken Stott and Joanna Vanderham. Although the drama is set in Edinburgh, some filming for series one of Crime also took place in Glasgow. In May last year, crews were spotted shooting scenes at the Windford Estate in Mary Hill. That article was by Nicole Mitchell. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 29th July 2022, from the Opinion section. Nicola Sturgeon's leadership has stood the test of time, by David Linden. The late Labour MP Tony Benn is famous for many things, but there is one speech in particular on leadership for which he will always be remembered and bears repeating. He said, I have divided politicians into two categories, the signposts and the weathercocks. The signpost says, this is the way we should go, and you don't have to follow them, but if you come back in 10 years time, the signpost is still there. The weathercock hasn't got an opinion until they've looked at the polls, talked to the focused groups, discussed it with the spin doctors. And I've no time for weathercocks. I'm a signpost man. The modern Labour Party could do well to heed those words. Earlier this week, Keir Starmer sacked his shadow transport minister, Sam Tarry, after he joined a picket line to support striking members of the Rail Maritime and Transport Workers Union at London Euston Railway Station. In a broadcast interview earlier that day, Mr Tarry had predicted his removal from the Labour front bench and defended his support for the strike, correctly asserting that he was standing on the right side of history. Sam Tarry is a signpost man. 
Keir Starmer, on the other hand. So desperate is Starmer to chase Tory votes that you can barely tell the two parties apart on policies such as Brexit and public spending. How is anyone supposed to know what the Labour Party of today stands for if they aren't prepared to stand up for ordinary workers? How far has Labour drifted from the central tenants on which they were founded? Keir Hardy must be burling in his urn in despair at his namesake. The leader of Unite the Union, Sharon Graham, this week said that Labour was becoming more and more irrelevant to ordinary working people, and she's not wrong. People need leadership which is rooted in values and principles. The electorate needs to know what you stand for if you want them to place their trust in you. The same is also true for the Conservatives, who have lost several by-elections in England due to disillusionment of traditional Tory voters. The thoroughly insipid leadership contest that we're all been subjected to has been a depressing spectacle of a policy by opinion poll and focus group. Whether it's throwing LGBT people under the bus, punching down on asylum seekers, or magicking up money as if they're contestants on Countdown being asked to pick a load of random numbers, both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have proven nothing other than their weathercock status. That Tony Benn quote went on to say, Although I disagreed with everything she did, Mrs Thatcher was a signpost. She said what she meant, meant what she said did what she said she'd do if you voted for her. Despite Trust doing everything she can to pretend to be some sort of Marvel reimagining of the Iron Lady, she's really just a counterfeit plastic Margaret Thatcher action figure, batteries not included. Sunak has the batteries, but can't seem to boot up past his factory default settings and at least pretend to understand the human condition. How far removed and distant does this weathercock fight feel for those of us watching aghast from Scotland? The sight of these two people, people that Scotland will never vote for, battling it out for the Tory crown while ordinary people struggle with the cost of living catastrophe is fairly grotesque. And in a couple of years, we'll likely have to go through all this over again. Tony Benn is correct that weathercocks come and go, but that in 10 years time, the signpost is still there. That's why throughout all of this Westminster drama and misrule, Nicola Sturgeon's leadership has stood the test of time. First Minister for almost eight years, and serving as Deputy First Minister for seven years before that, she has now seen off three Prime Ministers as well as countless Labour leaders. I bumped into Nicola earlier this week in Parkhead as she made an official visit to announce extra funding for targeted money and welfare advice services embedded in GP surgeries. She has never forgotten the day job nor the importance of delivering policies grounded in the values and principles people have backed her on. This shouldn't be revolutionary. These are shared principles. We care about each other. 
We want to see children have the best start in life. We all want properly funded and resourced public services. And we believe that workers shouldn't be forced into food banks. Our core values underpin not only who we are, but also our aspirations for the future. We are incredibly lucky to have principled signpost leadership in Scotland and we ought to heed the warnings from Westminster of what happens when those in positions of power become weathercocks. Truss, Starmer, Sunak have mistaken populism for popularity and it will be their political undoing. I agree with Tony Benn. We certainly do need a few more signposts and a lot fewer weathercocks. But Westminster shows no sign of changing. If we want direction in Scotland, we need to look closer to home. That article was by David Linden. This article is from The National, date 29th July 2022, from the Culture section. Scottish author Graeme McRae Burnett, humbled by Booker nomination and praise from Nicola Sturgeon by Craig Meehan. In 2020, Douglas Stewart became the second Scot in history to win the prestigious Booker Prize. It catapulted his name into the international spotlight while his book, Shuggy Bain, became a New York Times bestseller. Now, another Scottish author is in with a chance to scoop the elusive literary award and what comes with it. Graham McRae Burnett was announced on Tuesday as one of the 13 long-listed authors for his critically acclaimed book, Case Study. The novel follows the story of a woman who seeks out a psychotherapist who she blames for the death of her sister. While it's not the first time Booker Prize judges have found themselves impressed by Burnett's work, his psychological crime thriller, His Bloody Project, was nominated in 2016, the author said he is, he absolutely did not expect to make the long list. He told The National, I knew Saraband Books, my publisher, was putting my book into contention, but there are upwards of 150 books going into the prize. And these are not just any 150 books. These are the books that every other publisher thinks that has the best chance of winning the booker. So you can't possibly expect it, but it's absolutely brilliant when it's happened. I'm thrilled. It feels like an amazing achievement. For your book to be considered worthy of this kind of accolade is very gratifying. Burnett said he felt humbled by the groundswell of support he received following his nomination. I think once it's public knowledge, and Nicola Sturgeon is tweeting her congratulations, and Ian Rankin and Val McDermott and other writers are being extremely supportive, especially in the Scottish writing community, I think that's when you really feel humbled. It's still a strange feeling for Burnett that hasn't quite sunk in, learning of the news while holidaying in Wester Ross. I feel a little bit insulated from it, he said. 
If I was home in Glasgow, I probably would have gone out for drinks with some friends and that would make it feel real, so I'm a little distant from it. Burnett said that as well as the public tweet congratulating him on the long list, the First Minister had messaged him privately to applaud his achievement. He said, Regardless of politics, Nicola Sturgeon is genuinely an incredible reader of novels and literature in general. She's very supportive of Scottish writers. I think to have a leading politician who genuinely cares about literature is a brilliant thing. For her to take the time to congratulate me, she's a busy woman, so it genuinely is amazing. The writer was born and brought up in Kilmarnock, but moved when he left school to study film, TV and English literature at Glasgow University. Following his graduation, he taught English as a foreign language in Prague, France and Portugal. His last job before he published his first book at the age of 46 was a TV researcher for documentaries. But all through that time, he knew the written word was his true calling. All I've ever wanted to do in life was publish a novel, he said. By the time I was 40, I finished my TV job and felt like it was time to pursue what I want to do and wrote what would become The Disappearance of Adele Bedeau. Burnett's second book, His Bloody Project, was shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 2015, something he said proved to be a career and life-changing moment for him. It takes you into the eyeline of every bookshop in the country, of readers and of international publishers who are far more likely to publish your work. The book ended up being published in 20 languages. It gave me the opportunity of becoming a full-time writer. Burnett didn't stray too far from his home in the west of Glasgow to pen his award-winning novels. While most people go to the Mitchell Library to read, it's Burnett's de facto workplace. The author revealed that he's written the majority of his books at various floors of the famous Glasgow institution. I started going to the Mitchell when I was writing The Disappearance of Adele Bedeau. I wrote most of that on the second floor. Then when I was writing His Bloody Project, I wrote that on the fifth floor. Then Case Study, I wrote that entirely on the fourth floor. I can probably point you to the seats I actually use. While he may have two Booker nominations along with a wealth of other awards under his belt, the Scottish writer doesn't always feel there was a path in the literary world for him. He said, When I was 15 to 16, I started writing. I gave my English teacher some homework, about six or seven pages, and he told me he had never read anything like it before. I don't know if that was a compliment or not, but it made me feel really good, really encouraged. And then when I came up to Glasgow University, I showed the writer-in-residence my short stories, and he asked if I had thought of getting them published. Until that time, it never crossed my mind that someone like me could have stories published. I come from a middle-class background, I'm not underprivileged, but I didn't know that was a route that was possible for me. I had no idea how you go about it. Asked what's next, Burnett, who's currently on holiday, said he planned on getting a fish supper and heading to the beach. On the literary front, though, 
He's a third of the way through writing the last instalment of his Detective Gorsky trilogy, hoping to finish it by the end of the year. And he revealed a big new project is in the works. While he was tight-lipped on the details, he said he expects it will take around two to three years to complete. For now, though, he awaits to find out if he will follow 2015's triumph and make the Booker shortlist. We'll wait and see what happens with the Booker Prize, he said. But for me, just being able to continue to exist as a writer is a brilliant thing. That article was by Craig Meehan. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. Unexplained death leads to centre closure. An article written by Sara Pacheroni, multimedia reporter. An unexplained death has led to the closure of a sports complex in East Kilbride. A 58-year-old man collapsed in the car park on Straven Road around 10pm on Saturday, Police Scotland said. Emergency services rushed to the scene where the man was pronounced dead. Officers are currently treating the death as unexplained. An eyewitness who was attending an event told the Glasgow Times the club was still expected to be closed yesterday as a result of the incident. They said they'd heard a fight had broken out. However, this has not been confirmed. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, We were made aware of a 58-year-old man who had collapsed in a car park on Straven Road, East Kilbride, around ten past ten on Saturday night. Emergency services attended and he was pronounced dead at the scene. The death is currently being treated as unexplained and inquiries are at an early stage. An article written by Sarah Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. Forth and Clyde Canal in Glasgow could become hotbed for fly tipping. An article written by Sarah Pacheroni, multimedia journalist. A canal in Glasgow could become a hotbed for fly tipping and dereliction. Concerns were raised that canals in Scotland could become receptacles for rubbish and fall into dereliction, as Scottish Canals has been forced to operate on one-year budgets. Since 2019, the Scottish Government's corporation was left unable to retain profits or funding for longer-term regeneration projects. Chief Executive Catherine Topley told the SWNS news agency that the Forth and Clyde Canal in Glasgow could even slide back into the dereliction from which it was rescued only 25 years ago, undermining its proven health benefits and key role in reducing flash flooding risks. Ms Topley said future projects of that scale would be extremely challenging because they take many years to deliver and that's a very difficult thing to do when you're working on yearly budgeting. A new bridge over the canal being built at Stockingfield in Glasgow is a two-year project, while the Claypitts Nature Reserve at Hamilton Hill, completed in 2021, took five years. Ms Topley said the Scottish Government had yet to approve Scottish canals using money from the sale of land for housing beside the canal in Glasgow to fund the upgrading of canal-side buildings. This would provide significant rental income and repay the planned £1.3 million investment within a few years. She added, we need to find a way to operate that allows us to retain our income to grow it because one-year spending results in one-year thinking. We have a 250-year-old canal, so we need to think much longer than that. The canal is a community asset. It instigates business, housing and community projects and mental and physical health, which is really important. 
Ms Topley said the lockdowns had shown how fast the canal could revert to its previous state when people used it to dump rubbish like old couches and doors. She added, there's a real risk, without proper investment and utilisation of the canals, that it becomes this space again that isn't a value to the community, and very quickly it becomes a health risk as opposed to a benefit. That would be dangerous because research has demonstrated the canals are taking quite a lot of rainwater and mitigating flash floods as we see changes in the environment. A Transport Scotland spokesperson told the news agency, We fully recognise the benefits which canals offer and we're committed to supporting Scottish canals to continue to deliver these. Like all other public bodies in Scotland, Scottish Canals is operating in a challenging environment where public funds are extremely tight. Since 2019, its capital grant has increased by 87%, as well as an uplift each year in resource funding, plus additional funding to mitigate the impact of COVID. An article written by Sarah Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. Hundreds of junior doctors start work on NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde Wards. An article written by Sarah Pacheroni, multimedia journalist. Hundreds of new junior doctors are set to take to the wards across NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde this week. Some 489 newly qualified doctors are embarking on the next chapter of their medical careers. The first-year foundation doctors are taking part in organisational, departmental and online inductions before embarking on their rotations across hospital departments to learn all aspects of their job. Dr Joe Kirkpatrick is looking forward to working on the wards and helping patients. Dr Kirkpatrick, who studies at the University of Edinburgh, is interested in paediatric, psychiatry and general practice specialities and is looking forward to feeling more confident as a doctor and helping to make effective decisions. His colleague, Dr Joseph Jameson, is a new junior doctor currently shadowing on a respiratory ward and studied at the University of Bristol. Dr Jameson is hoping to specialise in psychiatry and can't wait to overcome first-day fears and get stuck in on the wards to provide the very best in patient-centred care. They're both going to be based at the Glasgow Royal Infirmary in the general medicine wards for their first rotation. After completing medical school, junior doctors have to complete a two-year foundation programme in both hospital and primary care, where they experienced multiple areas of practice. After these two years, they will decide their next steps as a doctor. Dr Lindsay Donaldson, Director of Medical Education at NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, added, I'm delighted to welcome our newly qualified doctors to our family. I know how hard they've worked to get to this stage, not least when their studies were impacted by the pandemic. That experience will hold them in good stead as they continue their training and start working on the wards. They are the future of the NHS and a critical part of the teams providing safe care and treatment of our patients. They can be rightly proud of everything that they've achieved. Dr Jennifer Armstrong, Medical Director at NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, said every new doctor joining the NHS has a key role in shaping our recovery post-pandemic. They're the next generation of highly skilled medical professionals who will provide the very best in patient-centred care for the people and communities they serve. I'm delighted that they've chosen to join us as they embark on the next chapter of their careers, and I have no doubt they'll receive a very warm welcome on the wards from both our teams and our patients. An article written by Sarah Pacheroni. 
Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. National hosepipe ban needed as UK drought looms, experts warn. An article written by Joshua Searle, SEO journalist. Experts are calling for a national hosepipe ban and compulsory water metering as the nation braces for drought. The National Infrastructure Committee, or NIC, has said water needs to start being managed better across the UK, otherwise the country could face a future of queuing for emergency bottled supplies from the back of lorries. The government also needs to invest around £20 billion in the nation's water supply equipment, the NIC chairman, Sir John Armit, told The Observer. You have to pay for water one way or another, he said. That could be investing in new reservoirs or moving water around the country, as well as stopping leaks. The committee's warning, which has been backed by the Rivers Trust, comes as the first hosepipe ban of the year comes into force following the recent heatwave and one of the driest starts to the year on record. Southern Water is to impose a temporary use ban on its customers in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight from Friday, August 5th. This will mean hosepipes cannot be used to water gardens or clean cars and ornamental ponds and swimming pools must not be filled. The restriction is the first to be put in place in the region since 2012, with Southern Water saying river flows are down 25% as a result of one of the driest years on record. A hosepipe ban was also introduced on Friday in the Isle of Man by Manx Utilities. The Rivers Trust and the Angling Trust echoed the NIC's calls for more mindful water use across the country as the situation is predicted to become more dire in the years ahead. Mark Lloyd from the Rivers Trust told The Observer there needs to be a nationally coordinated publicity campaign to reduce water use and universal water metering. Low flows in rivers are disastrous for wildlife and ultimately we need to take much more care of this incredibly precious resource. Mark Owen of the Angling Trust criticised the government for its lack of planning for extreme weather, telling the observer there is no strategic, coherent, joined-up approach. The reaction is always a knee-jerk. What happens when we get to this stage, when it's very dry and hot, is that all of a sudden usage shoots up as people fill paddling pools and water their gardens. Across the UK, it's so far been the driest July since 1984, with an average of 1.5 inches, or 37.7 millimetres of rain, and it's the eighth driest in records stretching back to 1836. The Met Office said it's not just been a dry July, but figures also show that England has had the driest eight-month period from November 2021 to June 2022 since 1976, when the country struggled with severe drought. Over that period, just 16.6 inches, or 421 millimetres of rain, has fallen across England, less than three-quarters of the 1991-2020 to average of 22.4 inches, or 568 millimetres. An article written by Joshua Searle. Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 1st of August. Campaigners help out neighbours with food pantry collection. An article written by Sara Pacheroni, multimedia journalist. A campaign to save a community centre in the north of Glasgow has stepped up to help neighbours struggling amid the cost-of-living crisis. The Save Rockhill Community Centre group gathered at the facility on Billsland Drive for its weekly demonstration on Saturday. 
This week, besides placards and banners, campaigners came armed with cupboard essentials and a real desire to help their neighbours. The group hosted a food pantry collection for Najra Helping Hands, a Maryhill-based charity which runs a weekly community food cupboard. Councillor Fiona Higgins for the Canal Ward said the food collection was extremely successful, with local community leader Brian Land's car boot being filled to the brim. Local people from Ruckill and beyond came with cupboard essentials and a real desire to help their neighbours who are struggling with the impacts of the cost-of-living crisis. We'd like to thank local children's charity North United Communities for their donation and also Mary Hill Housing Association for generously gifting £150 to the collection. Najra Helping Hands is run by local nurse Magdalene, who first became concerned about the welfare of people struggling in her community of Ruckill during the pandemic. Councillor Higgins added she founded and runs Najra between her night shifts on the wards. Even for Saturday's collection, she was between night shifts on the Friday and Saturday. She's a complete hero. Residents in the north of the city have been rallying for the reopening of the Lifeline facility. The centre, located in one of the city's poorest areas, has been closed since March 2020, when it shut down due to the pandemic. The Save Ruckill Community Centre campaign was started after the first coronavirus lockdown by local woman Karen Love, who continues to fight the closure of the centre. We previously reported the demonstrations continue, with more and more people joining every week, amid fears that the site could be sold to a developer and lost forever. Councillor Higgins, who's been supporting the campaign, believes the centre would be at risk of permanent closure after being told a private residential developer expressed interest in the site. A petition is also active, appealing to Glasgow City Council and all community leaders to save the centre. An article written by Sarah Pacioroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. Scottish Government is urged to deliver a proper pay deal for police officers. An article issued by the Glasgow Times news desk. The deputy leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats has called on the Scottish Government to deliver a proper pay deal for police officers, as well as tackle increasing numbers of officers considering retirement. Wendy Chamberlain, who previously served as a police officer, urged action after Police Scotland confirmed the number of planned retirements is currently 69% above the normal retirement levels when compared with the five-year average. A Freedom of Information request from the party revealed that 763 Scottish police officers plan to retire this year, compared to an average of 584 over the last five years. The response also revealed that 1,353 officers will be eligible to retire within the next year. The increase comes after Scottish Police Federation Chair David Hamilton described stress levels as critical and the introduction of the MacLeod Remedy, which removes age discrimination in public sector pension schemes. Earlier this month, the Scottish Police Federation, which represents rank-and-file police officers in Scotland, unanimously rejected a 3.4% pay rise proposal after it said the deal continues to fail to recognise the unique role of the police officer and is significantly lower than offered in other sectors. Ms Chamberlain said, Despite violent crime being on the rise, Police Scotland has been plagued by a shortage of resources and funding. Huge numbers of officers have had enough and are threatening to call it quits. 
These numbers are a worrying example of how the government simply isn't doing enough to maintain law and order across Scotland. Police Scotland needs to retain skilled and experienced officers, otherwise the government will have to either rack up the costs of recruiting and training staff who don't have the same breadth of experience, or leave ever greater areas without any community policing. A career in the police involves navigating complex pressures and high-level demands. That's why the government must act to improve pay and conditions, while also conducting regular staff surveys to put the welfare of officers at the centre of reform. An article issued by the Glasgow Times News Desk. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 1st of August. Thief who stole charity tin thought it was Pringles. An exclusive article written by Lauren Brownlee, senior reporter. A thief who pocketed a charity collection tin with £600 in it claimed he thought it was stealing a tub of Pringles. The tin had been placed at the till area of the YouSave store on Dyke Road in Knightswood to raise money for the funeral of an employee's son. But William Jeffrey, who's 66, entered the shop on the morning of July the 20th last year and pocketed the tin. He appeared at Glasgow Sheriff Court last week for sentencing. The Procurator Fiscal stated that the container for the money was marked as a bereavement fund. He added, at 9.30am a customer entered the store and attended at the tills. He'd requested a top-up for his electricity card and employee Pauline Chapman dealt with his transaction. During the transaction, the customer inquired about the amount of the top-up, which caused the member of staff to look away from the customer and concentrate on the till itself to make an amendment. At the end of the transaction, the customer left the store. Miss Chapman continued to serve customers for around 30 or 40 minutes afterwards. One customer then handed her a £2 coin for the collection fund. However, it was no longer where it had been left. CCTV checks were then carried out. Mr Jeffrey was captured attending at the till for the electricity transaction and placing the money container into his pocket and leaving. Police were contacted. Officers attended and viewed the CCTV footage. They identified the man as Mr Jeffrey from Knightswood. Officers then went to his home where he was cautioned and charged and made no reply. The court heard that there was a full recovery of the money. Mr Jeffrey's lawyer said... It's always been my client's position that there was nothing on the container informing that it was a bereavement fund. According to him, the money was in a Pringles tub. He thought it was just crisps he was stealing. He tells me his intention was to return it to the store, but police arrived and he handed it over. The lady in the shop told him he should be ashamed of himself, and he agreed with her. It was revealed that Mr Jeffrey's record dates back to 1973 and has an outstanding matter for shoplifting. His defence solicitor added, it's confirmed in the social work report that he's ashamed of his actions. He appeared genuine in his empathy and regret. He has a variety of health issues, both physical and mental. Unpaid work may be suitable if it is light duties. He tells me he's completed a restriction of liberty order in the past, but I don't see that on his record. It would be an option. Sheriff Charles Lugton told Mr Jeffrey, this certainly falls into the category of a disgraceful crime. I've come to the view, with some hesitation, that I can deal with this on a non-custodial basis. He tagged Mr Jeffrey and ordered him to stay within his home from 7pm to 7am for 90 days. An exclusive article written by Lauren Brownlee. Evening Times, August 1. 
lifestyle. Remembering the man who turned Arran Hotel into Glaswegian's favourite luxury resort. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Who was Ian Johnston, much-loved businessman, who turned around the tourism fortunes of a top island resort in the Firth of Clyde? It is the Glasgow holidaymakers' go-to luxury resort on Costa del Clyde, and the man behind it has a fascinating story going all the way back to his Knightswood and Shawlands roots. As a very young child, Ian Johnston and his family survived an incredibly near miss during World War II when a German bomb landed around 200 metres away from their tenement flat. Ian was born in 1933 and left Shawlands Academy at the age of 15 to work for the Union Bank of Scotland in Mount Florida for £100 a year. According to his obituary in our sister title, The Herald, Ian completed two years of national service in the RAF, stationed at Dice near Aberdeen, and went on to work for customs and excise around the UK. His weekends were spent on his beloved Aaron, where his family had been holidaying since he was a child. After turning down promotion after promotion, because they involved relocating to London, Ian left the customs and the excise and moved to the island in 1978, where he helped to run the post office and shop. In the mid-80s, the small, relatively unknown Ohrani Hotel came on the market, and Ian decided to take it on in partnership with his wife Linda and Ronnie Mann. Linda was the local PE teacher and, like Ian, was determined to provide indoor sports facilities for the island. The couple's drive and determination transferred Ohrani into a hugely successful and popular resort, which is now community-owned and home to two four-star hotels. 35-star self-catering luxury lodges, 14 retreats, 3 restaurants, a shop, 2 leisure clubs with pools, a destination spa and an outdoor adventure centre. Ian was instrumental in forming the Aaron Gilbert and Sullivan Society. He received an MBE for services to tourism in 2011. Sadly, he died in 2015, aged 82. Report by Anne Fotheringham. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 3rd of August 2022, from the news section, It is vital we trace whoever is responsible. CID involved in East End stabbing at Bridgeton Cross. By Esther Tarnay. A hunt has been launched to find those responsible for stabbing a man yesterday in the East End of Glasgow. As the Glasgow Times reported at the time, officers were called to the Bridgeton Cross area around 1pm yesterday after receiving reports of the assault. Today, police confirmed that CID are, investi are investigating the stabbing of a 49-year-old man who is in a serious but stable condition. Detective Constable Sarah Stephen 
of Shesselton's CID said, Inquiries are at an early stage to establish exactly what has happened and I am appealing to anyone who may have witnessed the assault or noticed anything suspicious to contact us. A man sustained serious injuries as a result of this incident and it is vital we trace whoever is responsible. Anyone with information should contact Police Scotland via 101 quoting incident number 1398 of Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Alternatively, Calls can be made anonymously to Crime Stoppers on 0800-555-111. And that report was by Esther Tarnay. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 3rd of August 2022, from the news section, BBC EastEnders and Blue Star Lee Ryan arrested after going crazy on BA flight by Kieran Doody. Blue singer Lee Ryan was reportedly arrested after being kicked off a British Airways flight to London when cabin crew refused to serve him alcohol. The 39-year-old, who also appeared in long-running BBC soap EastEnders, was on a BA flight travelling from Glasgow to London on Sunday. The flight was said to have been disrupted for 20 minutes after the star refused to sit back down in his seat, the Mirror reports. A Met Police spokesman said, at around 16.40 hours on Sunday, 31st of July, officers met a flight that had arrived in London City Airport from Glasgow. A 39-year-old man was arrested for a public order offence. He was taken into custody at an East, East London police station and was released under investigation the following day. One passenger told the son, Never mind singing with blue, he turned the air blue with his language. He became aggressive with the air hostesses once it became clear he wouldn't be giving alcohol. At one point he left his seat and started walking up and down the aisle despite being told to sit down. He even ran behind the cabin crew curtains. Lee Ryan has appeared on stage and television since Blue Split, a band he formed with Anthony Costa, Duncan James and Simon Webb in 2000. And that article was by Kieran Doody. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 3rd of August 2022, from the news section. Fire service provides update after fire at Doubletree by Hilton in Glasgow. By Esther Tarnay. The fire service has released a statement after a fire broke out at the city centre hotel last night. Last night, the Glasgow Evening Times reported that the Doubletree by Hilton Hotel was evacuated this evening with emergency services on the scene. Large crowds gathered outside the Double Chi by Hilton and Cambridge Street as fire crews dealt with an incident. Today, the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service has provided an update on the incident, saying there were five fire trucks at the scene and the flames were put out with no casualties. An SFRS spokesperson said, We were alerted at 6.55pm on Tuesday, August 2nd, to reports of a fire at the Double Chi by Hilton and Cambridge Street, Glasgow. Operations Control mobilised five fire appliances. The fire was extinguished and crews left the scene after ensuring the area was made safe. There were no reported casualties. And that report was by Esther Tarnay. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 3rd of August 2022. From the news section, Man, 28, arrested after murder bid in Paisley. By Esther Tarnay. A man was arrested and charged in connection with an attempted murder in Paisley. The Glasgow Times reported on Monday 
that a 24-year-old man was left with life-threatening injuries following an alleged attack on Stock Street at 9pm on Saturday night. The victim was taken to Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow by ambulance for treatment. Now, Police Scotland has confirmed that a 28-year-old man was arrested and charged in connection with the incident. He is due to appear at Paisley Sheriff Court today. And that article is by Esther Tarnay. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 3rd of August 2022, from the news section, Rebecca Vardy predicts what would happen if she saw Colleen Rooney in the street. By Kieran Doody, UK Trending Editor. Rebecca Vardy has revealed what she thinks will happen if she ever meets Colleen Rooney in the street after the Wagatha Christie trial. Mrs Vardy, wife to Leicester City star Jamie Vardy, broke her silence for the first time since losing the legal battle in a talk TV interview. Asked what she thinks would happen if the two met, she said, i take her to Cafe Nero. Also speaking to The Sun, Vardy said, If I saw her in the street tomorrow, I'd ask her if she wanted to go for a Cafe Nero. Life is too short to be resentful and hold grudges and be bitter towards someone. That is not me. I am not that person. Last week, Vardy, 40, lost a libel battle against 36-year-old Rooney over a viral social media post after a high court judge found it was substantially true. As a result, Vardy believes she is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Vardy said she had been admitted to hospital twice to be treated for mental health issues since the original post in 2019. I was having serious panic attacks, she said. I had kidney stones which were brought on by stress and I just felt like my life was falling apart. Physically, emotionally and mentally, it was exhausting. She added, It was draining. I had to go to hospital a couple of times because they were really worried about my mental well-being. And, since the court case, I think I'm probably suffering suffering with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I feel physically sick when I talk about the trial and what happened, and I have nightmares. I haven't gone to get a diagnosis yet, but I do know I probably need some more therapy. It's been a horrible time. And that article was by Kieran Doody. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.